Broadcasting live from the ESPN 690 and Ajar Levine Studios. This is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 with Brent Martineau and Austin Lane. We're so used to sort of stern and angry Bill Belichick, which you can be when you are the best coach, arguably, of all time in your sport. Sure, I get on, I get all of that. But we are also in a results-oriented business no matter what team you're talking about. So while I've said, I, I think, fairly measured, uh, the, it's okay to say, hey, they made some mistakes this year. They're going to build the team in a better way. It is also fair to critique the way that they've drafted. And in the process of responding to that critique, at some point, being the grumpy curmudgeon that's going to turn around and belittle the people that are asking you the question in some way that makes it feel like you don't have to answer it is something you can get away with when you're winning Super Bowls. When you're not, you can't. And I think that's the tide that'll be interesting to see turn because Patriots fans and Boston fans in general are used to winning in the largest possible ways. Jason Fitz talking about Bill Belichick and Jason Fitz is probably like, wait a minute, that's me. Yeah. You know, he could have been talking about Tom Coughlin. You know? Sounds like a smart guy, Jason Fitz. This guy, <laughs> Jason Fitz sounds like a really, like, I think he knows what he's talking about. You should listen to him more. Uh, Real we, straight shooter, that, that Jason Fitz. We believe him. We believe him all the time. Jason Fitz joins us. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Brent Martino, Austin Lane, and Jason Fitz from uh, Spain. And Fitz, 7 o'clock on ESPN Radio all across the country. Check him out uh, tonight. And, and, by the way, he's all over the place doing a bunch of different things. So I like your take there, though, Jason, on, on Belichick. Uh, listen, they have done so well. I understand Belichick being a bit defensive about, okay, we lose a couple of games and here we go. Uh, but at the same time, I think you, you're right. You know, when you're not good, you, the, the tough questions get asked and the criticism is warranted. Yeah, well, and that's sort of the, the hardest part about this. Was certainly the results have, have borne themselves out for Belichick. So it's not like he has to apologize for it. But it is also true that they have wasted high graphics for years. So if you're going to turn around and say that the reason that you're in the situation you're in right now is because you went all in on winning a Super Bowl, then you have to also acquiesce that had you drafted better, you would have better cheap labor. And that's part of the skill of the NFL. Now, he didn't have to have cheap labor when he had a quarterback that was willing to take a bit of a hometown discount and was able to win a lot of games with great players and, and do that thing. But that's not the case this year. So between the opt-outs and the poor drafting, they're, they're in this situation. I mean, at least man up and own up to part of the reason that you're not playing well is because he made mistakes. Yeah, and I think there's a way to do it. It's just that Bill Belichick doesn't really have that way to do it where you can be like, listen, guys, I mean, yeah, sure, we deserve some criticism. It, it, not everything's worked out, but at the same time, look at what we've done in the last two decades. I mean, <laughs> it's really hard to do what we just did. So I think you can point out both things. You know, to that degree, you know, here in Jacksonville, we it's just the opposite. Everybody else is so used to being asked about criticism, they handle it very nicely, Jason. Uh, I mean, Doug Marone does a fantastic job of handling the criticism. He gets it because they have not been able to win you know one of the things that i often struggle with because the quickest thing we do is point to the greatness or uh, uh for lack of a better term the sucky nature of coaches whether they win or lose and i think that's too easy all the time sure you give the great ones like belichick and saban their due they certainly have earned it but i also think it's about the players and therefore that brings in the players themselves the ability to buy in, the ability to grow, to take coaching and become better. And also that brings in the general managers in the front office. If It's not even. It can't be. It's not 33%, 33%, 33%. But what do you tend to do in terms of the blame game? You've been a Raiders fan. Have you blamed 
like ownership and front office? Have you blamed the players for not being better than they are? Have you blamed the coaches that have been there in the past? Where do you lean? I actually put a lot of blame on front offices. I mean, I think it's an undertold part of the story because a bad coaching hire sets you back four years easily. A bad draft can set you back three or four years. I mean, front offices deserve a lot more blame than they get. And, you know, guys, I know I've said this before, but a writer buddy of mine years ago said, ask yourself if you look at the roster of your favorite team, how many of the the starters on your favorite team would be starting on a playoff-caliber team right now? And when you actually go through that exercise – you figure out, are you watching, we always use chopped analogies, right? Are you watching somebody with a basket full of lush ingredients that isn't taking advantage of it? Or are you watching somebody that's trying to make chicken salad out of chicken you-know-what, right? So uh, I think in some regards, you look at the Jags, for example, and you have to ask yourself, like early on when they had that talent, and not early on, but a couple of years ago when they had that incredibly talented defense full of stars, then I think it is a coaching issue if you're not able to take the next step. But if you look at the roster now and it feels like it's devoid of talent, then that comes on the talent that they've brought into the organization. So this is one of the rare instances where I think there's enough blame to go around. And then you got to ask yourself, do you have the right person in the right place that can make smart hires? I think part of the reason that the Cowboys are just not a team I'm going to rely on anytime soon is that Jerry Jones isn't capable of hiring good football people anymore. So you're, you're done. And that's I felt that for years as a Raiders fan, watching Al Davis hire coaches, that you knew weren't qualified coaches while he was running the front office and you knew he was no longer qualified to do that. You knew you were just up a creek, and that's what happens at some point. The cycle repeats itself. you got to get smart football minds in long-term contracts that are willing to come in and work together, and that's easier said than done. Jason, I'm not going to sit by here and let Brett Martineau ruin the lead, all right, and absolutely bury the lead right now. And you mentioned lush ingredients. Let's talk about the lushest of the lush. I've been driving the I've been driving the Kyler Murray bandwagon now for a while, and guess what? We just got fresh new tires on that bad boy, nice heavy duty shocks, and unfortunately, Brett Martineau and Daniel Jones were left at the station. They didn't come aboard, and now they're stuck on a tricycle with two wheels. With that being said, Jason Fitz, are you on the Kyler Murray bandwagon in terms? of is he an MVP legit candidate or should we not buy the hype quite yet? No, no, he's an MVP candidate. There's no doubt about it. I, but I do think the funniest part of the story of that throw, and we've all seen the, you know, the Hail Murray, what, a thousand times in the last 24 hours. The funniest part of the story about that throw is after he threw it, he had to turn around and look at the jumbotron behind him to see how the play ended because <laughs> he couldn't see. Like, he's a little dude. Like, you know, but, but at, at some point, I will say this, Kyler Murray it deserves so much credit, but so does Cliff Kingsbury. Because one thing that really blew me away, and I was sitting with Greg Cosell that works for NFL Films and does some work with ESPN. I was sitting with him uh, years ago at the Seahawks-Patriots Super Bowl. And it was so interesting to watch the game with somebody that's that brilliant with analysis as we were watching. And he kept pointing out the little subtle nuances to Seattle's offense that created great throwing windows for us. And that's become sort of par for the course. We understand that that's what they do. Cliff Kingsbury has found ways to take whatever the limitations are for Kyler Murray and simply eliminate them. So he is playing the way Kyler Murray can play. Not a lot of coaches lack ego. And I think that's one of the big things from Cliff Kingsbury. He, he, come in, he came in and said, okay, how can I tailor my system around this guy to make this guy great? So I'm also saying that through that process, if Kyler Murray is an MVP candidate, and Cliff Kingsbury is the coach of the year candidate. Well, wow. yeah, and Jason, I want to ask you, you mentioned it. Like, I want to get your percentages a little bit. Like, 
off that throw, what percentage of that was Kyler Murray, and what percentage of that was obviously Hopkins making that catch? And actually, with the Cardinals' success this season, how much is on Kyler Murray? What percentage, I guess, is on Kyler Murray to be so successful this year for the Cardinals, and what percentage is on Cliff Kingsbury? I think it's probably, you know, it's about 60-40. I'll say 60-40 to Kyler Murray on which one of them gets the credit. But, man, you want to talk about player acquisition. I mean, the Cardinals went in and said, we think we got our guy. And I say this all the time, and this is important, I think, for Jacksonville even as a market. When you think you've got your guy at quarterback, you have a responsibility as a GM and as a front office, you have a responsibility to get great weapons around that quarterback to make sure. That's step number one. You think you got him? load them up. And that's exactly what the Cardinals did by going out and acquiring Hopkins. Uh, and, and it looks like a brilliant move now. So a lot of credit to the front office, but also a lot of credit to Kyler Murray for his, his continued development. That being said, the throw, 80% of that goes to Kyler Murray. Come on. He's running one way. He stops his body, essentially throws Absolutely. against his body, mm-hmm. makes a perfect throw. All Hop did was be the highest guy to the ball with the best gloves. Come yeah. on. I mean, we all know wide receivers are bailed out by the stickum that's on their gloves. Absolutely uh, correct. Murray's got no help. Absolutely correct. I yep. mean, do you guys talk before I mean, the yep. show or Absolutely. something? I, I mean, Brett, what are we doing Brett, here? I mean, let's be honest. Jason Fitz hitting all the points today. I hey, appreciate it. But Fitz, I'm sitting I at appreciate home. It. I'm at home on quarantine here, mm-hmm. and I'm out by my fire pit just because of Kyler Murray and, and Cliff Kingsbury. And so in about an hour, I'm going to light this bad boy, and it's 80 degrees here. And I'm still going to light that damn fire pit just because of those guys. Well, go and throw and, your Daniel Jones jersey in that fire pit as well. Yeah, and, and Minshew jersey and headbands and bandanas and everything else that goes along with it. Yeah. I, you know, you said you take two things there, though I want to, I want to uh, expound upon a little bit. One is I love what you said about if you have your quarterback, then go get more. And see, I have this feeling that the Jags are going to be the second pick in the draft, and they're going to get Justin Fields. But I also have this feeling that the Jags are going to say in that draft, say, hey, we have DJ Chark. We have James Robinson. We have LaVisca Chanel. We're okay. No, not in this day and age of football. Don't say we're okay. The, the Kansas City Chiefs, their greatness is saying, no, we're not okay. We're going to go add more. The Tampa Bay Bucks said, no, we need more. Let's go get Antonio Brown. So don't say you're okay. You can never have enough, Jason, in, in offense you're, these days. You're, you're absolutely right. And, you know, for the Jags, I think there's a, a key opportunity, you know, that we always talk about this when you're, when you're picking high. We put so much focus at the top of the first round. But you're talking about the top of the second round, too. And this wide receiver class coming out is going to be almost as heralded as, as last year's was. And we've seen that that's been immediate impact for several teams. I mean, you go out and you get weapons. And, and I, I think it's just such a, a loss. Like there, there was an old concept that if you have your quarterback, they can will you to victory. I, I think that's the 90s concept on football. The current concept is if you have your quarterback, now let's go make him a record setter because that's going to make our offense great. If you have a great offense in today's NFL, you can hide a lot of weaknesses on the defensive side of the ball. And that's essentially what it feels like everybody's doing. So absolutely, if they go out and get Justin Fields, then – you go out and you continue to aggressively say, okay, what do we have to do to make this offense so multidimensional that it is tough to cover everybody? And that's exactly to that point what the Chiefs did going out and getting Clyde Edwards-Alaire now. You know, we won't know how great uh, he's going to be for another year. It looked great for a while, then it didn't look great. We don't know. But I will say this. I mean, you go – because of the responsibility around the quarterback position, particularly if you leave him on an island, you never know what you got. And, and then you waste years trying to figure it out. And that's just bad team management. 
Austin, by the way, uh, you can jump in here, but I, and we don't have to get Jason on this again because he already said it, but I just thought it was interesting he gave Kingsbury credit because we talked about this yesterday, Austin, that Kingsbury really hasn't got the credit, in my opinion. Like, I don't feel like if you flip on a national show, I don't really feel like they're talking about him. It's all Murray, 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 Murray. Yeah. And so it's interesting to hear Jason talk about Kingsbury and what he's doing well because he's got to be doing something right. I, I get it. I just don't – like, when we, when we talked about the Rams offense, we talked about McVay all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, nobody's talking about – Kingsbury in that way, I guess, is my point. No, and you're not wrong there, Brent. I think at the end of the day, like haters are going to be haters, right? And people, they hate Kingsbury's fireplace. They hate his style. They hate his lifestyle. All that stuff. Like, Jason Fitz can relate to it, right? Like, Jason Fitz, I think, has won a Grammy before, or he's been nominated for a Grammy. So with that being said, he, he gets the spotlight. He understands what he's working with there with, uh, with Kingsbury. But I'm going to say this, and Jason, this is my question to you. When we're talking about Kingsbury, and obviously right now he's, it seems like he's the future, right? Like he's got the Cardinals playing very well in probably the hardest division, one of the hardest divisions at least in the NFL. Is this going to keep on going forward now with these offensive-minded coaches, these young guys, right? Because we saw a glimpse of it with Sean McVay. And all of a sudden, everybody who knew Sean McVay and shook hands with Sean McVay was offered a job, it seemed like. Well, now Kingsbury showing, hey, there might be something to this, you know, this young kind of guy culture with this offensive-minded guru type of guy. Will we keep on seeing this, or will it come full circle eventually where we see, like, the older school guys and maybe the more defensive-minded coaches? No, I think it's going to continue this path. And, and look, the point you just hit on there is, I think, part of why he's not getting enough credit right now, Clinton Kingsbury, that is, in the uh, coaching conversation because a lot of people, he was the one that everybody said, now this guy is not qualified to be an NFL head coach. For people to come in and now admit the success he's having, a lot of hot takers would have to admit that their hot take was very wrong about him, and people don't like to do that. So Mm. I think the lack of willingness to admit a mistake is part of why he doesn't get more publicity. But the other part of your point is, what did Cliff Kingsbury do? He came in, he watched Kyler Murray and said, what's he do well? How do I replicate it? We even look early on in the success of Joe Burrow. I mean, the fact that they, they analyzed what he did well at LSU and it brought a ton of those concepts in, I think that's what we're going to see for the future moving forward. I mean, if the Jags end up with Justin Fields, the first thing I'm going to do is try and pluck somebody off of that Ohio State staff and bring him to my staff for the Jags and just let him work. Just let him, let, let him be the conduit that tells everybody what, what Fields likes to run, how he likes to run it. I don't know why we don't see that more often. You draft a young quarterback, then you bring in somebody that knows that kid and knows how to make that kid as successful as possible so that he can start to work with your coaching staff because great coaches should be able to take whatever they have in the pantry and cook with it. They shouldn't need necessarily to only run their system. They should be able to make their system work with whatever players they have. Yeah, Jason Fitz, 7 o'clock, Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio all across the country, joins us on Tuesdays. Thanks for joining us, man. Uh, Les Austin, you got some Ted Allen chop stuff? No, 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 I don't need chop stuff. I just have one legitimate question, and Jason, obviously you're a guy that comes with a music background, so I want to get your hot take on this real quick. Christmas music, when is it suitable to start the Christmas music? Do you wait till after Thanksgiving or after Halloween? What is your opinion? Uh, I went out the day after Halloween to buy stuff half off because all of the big stores put the stuff down cheap, right? So okay. as I was loading demonic like clowns into my car, <laughs> I had Mariah Carey Christmas just blaring in the background. Remember this: what do you do? What do you do at halftime? Whenever you're watching a game at halftime, you eat, you drink, and you hang out with your friends and family, right? That's what you do at halftime of a game. Sure. That, my friends, is why Thanksgiving is halftime of the Christmas season. It starts November first. You have halftime, you eat, you hang out with your friends, you watch some football, right, and then you get back to it for the second half. You make some adjustments to your game plan, and you're ready to win. 
I appreciate the fact that you've probably been asked that question before because that's one hell of a response. Hell of an answer. <laughs> demonic clowns I've been and Mariah Carey. My Christmas music take for a long time. I, I, demonic <laughs> Mariah. There we go. Yeah. Hey, I actually was thinking of this watching the. Uh, I think it was the CMAs uh, last week. When's the last time you picked up a violin? Uh, I still play every once in a while just for fun. Um, the last time I played anything of note was probably, I don't know, probably a year, year and a half ago. Um, but, you know, I still got buddies, Rascal Flatts and Chris Young and uh, guys like that in the country music world that are still buddies. And so when the world gets back to touring, uh, Chris has left me the standing uh, opportunity to sit in with him at the Opry or one of his bigger shows. So I'll probably just, like, go in and play there. I play every once in a while for fun, but I'm more likely to sit at a piano in the middle of the night than I am to pull out a violin. That's pretty good. So, cool. and, and by the way, you didn't cringe when I said violin, or did you prefer fiddle? I was going to say, Brent, be a little more respectful. Oh, when I was a kid, if you called it a fiddle, I was like, I'm a violinist when I was a classical <laughs> music kid. And then all of a sudden, I was like, wait, fiddle players make how much? No, I'm a fiddle player. I'm a- <laughs> all day. Yeah. Jason Fitz, uh, thanks for joining us, man. Always fun. You guys are the best. Have a great week. All right. That's Jason Fitz. Spade and Fitz, uh, 7 o'clock. Listen to him tonight. Listen to him everywhere. Hey, Austin, here's the deal. Yeah. I didn't want to keep him longer, but if he goes and plays like the Opry, mm-hmm. all right, and mm-hmm. sits in with Chris Young or Rascal Flatts, uh, by the way, those are country guys. Um, how about <laughs> if he goes there, how about we go and watch? I mean, yeah, like absolutely. when, it, when, it, when sure. things open up, right? Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, absolutely. It'd be probably one of the coolest moments ever, man. I've never been in the Opry before, and actually, you know, witnessing a guy that you, you kind of conversate with every single week—that'd be very cool. But with that being said, I feel like Fitz has already kind of displayed his Opry moment when we talked about Kyler Murray. I mean, the, the guy hit all the hot topics, hit all the right points, hit hit all the right notes, if you will. Uh, I think this was Jason Fitz's finest moment in his sports career so far. We was did. on this show. We just had someone come and say that was the, honestly the best answer in this show's history. So, yeah. which one was that? About Christmas music? No. I think the Christmas music. Oh, honestly. Yeah, no, 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 no. It's about Kyler Murray. That was a heck of an answer, man. It's like yeah. he's been asked. He's a music guy, so he's probably yeah. been asked that before. So I appreciate, and I'm on board with him too. I, I you can listen to Christmas music as early as you want to listen to Christmas. Well, music. Brent, you just pray, uh, get ready, man, because in the next couple weeks or so, when we have him back on the show, we're gonna do our our Christmas uh, song power rankings. Oh, really? Yeah. It's going to be a lot of Alabama on mine. They, they have Christmas songs? Uh, Alabama, to me, is the, like it's the one I grew up on, and I loved it. Um, it's funny. It's, I think the Christmas album stuff, anything, it, it's like what you grew up on yeah. is, is really like near and dear to you. And then if you listen to other stuff, like I love Garth Brooks, right? But if I listen to Garth like put out a Christmas album even now, I'm like, nah, let me flip on Alabama. I grew up on that one. You know, I, I like a new Christmas album doesn't do a lot for me. Like it's like what I listened to when I was a kid okay. that resonates more for some reason. Yeah. Okay. I'm I'm so confused. But like as a kid, you listened to the Alabama Christmas record. I did. Yeah. There's, wow. there's an Alabama one. Um. You know. Well, by the way, also what else? Like whoever, what my parents had on too. Well, that's what I'm um, saying. Like go and give me those old school tracks. You know, go and give me that that old school Silent Night or something like that. Yeah, well, my mom was like a big Barbara Streisand fan, so she had a good uh, uh, Christmas. <laughs> Mariah Carey's is good, by the Love way. Love it. Mariah Carey yeah. back in the day, not bad. Um, I'm trying to think. I'll give you. I'll give you one, okay? And don't don't lie here now. Did you have you ever heard of the Osmonds? Oh yeah, for sure. The Osmonds. Donnie Marie. Yeah. Yes. Now that was a big one back home. Yeah. That was a big one. I, I've never I, listened I to it. I don't but... listen to that one anymore, really. But I got you. Yeah, they, they had like the really big smiles, right? Like the teeth. 
Yeah. You, you, <laughs> like my character. Yeah. You have something in common with them, don't you? <laughs> hey, who knows? Maybe you're like a long-lost Osmond. I uh, don't sing like him. Yeah. All right. Uh, that's That was a lot of fun with Jason Fitz, as always. My gosh, Kyle Mori. What are you going to do, you know? Hey, uh, Nick Foles, is he done? Is he yeah. done as a starter? I'm not talking about the injury. The injury is a serious thing. I don't make a light of that. Um, although, apparently, it's better than it, it looked well, last night. Isn't he day-to-day? Yeah, I'm, but I mean, is he re- like even after this year, is he done as a starter in the NFL? Uh, and you asked an interesting question about Foles. We'll get to that coming up next on ESPN 690. Brent Martineau. Some uh, NBA play-by-play here this week as well, right here on ESPN 690. Austin Lane. Hey, hey, you're right. <laughs> yeah, I know. You look over like you're going to make it. Yeah, man. I'm making sure we're all good here. Hey, listen, I, I get choked up about the new lineup. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Let me tell you what happens. When you start walking in that locker room, every guy starts looking at you going, man, just do your job, right? We, we have enough talent to do something. You can't convert on third downs. It's just not enough. That frustration begins to build. I'm telling you, I've been on teams. You start looking at guys like, hey, man, you got to pull your freaking weight. We get paid to play. This ain't college. It ain't about friendship, bro. It's about let's make cash. Who the heck was he talking about, Coos? That was just Saturday. What team? Did I miss that? Oh, he's talking about Chicago. Chicago, yeah. How is Chicago so bad on offense? Like, I feel like Chicago is the 2011 Jags on offense. 2012 Jags on offense? No, seriously, like your offenses, uh, I mean, I, yeah. I feel for you. I mean, your offenses were so bad. Hey, I was there, Brent. I know. Uh, um, it was gross. Yeah, I'm, I'm aware. Three and out, three and out, three and out. Um, but they were in the same age, man. Like it's like even the Jags, who are are not good, yeah. they're not putrid on offense. They're and they're playing with guys that really shouldn't. Even, maybe you could argue shouldn't even be playing in some positions. Um, but especially this year, though, where it seems like every offense is at least you know functional. Um, the Bears stick out just because they're doing so bad. And it's a shame, too, because their defense, you know, is is pretty dang good, right? You saw it last night. It was showcased last night. But their offense can't bail them out of anything. You know, it's so funny. I, I, I do this every Saturday when I watch college football, and I'm like, my gosh, this game is so different. The offense is unbelievable. And it, and it has been. There's always been some differences. You know, Alabama had the great defense. Then they shifted along. Nobody else has great defense anymore anyway, um, especially this year. But even in the past, it's been trending this way. The NFL, earlier this year, right? Remember I did the show where defense is dead? And, and the NFL was like that too early on, where everybody's scoring in the 30s. Mm-hmm. It has really changed in the last couple of weeks. It is mid-November, so that makes some sense. The weather factors in in some of the spots. Like Cleveland has put up some really low-scoring games a couple times, and the wind was howling at like 50, 60 miles an hour. So I think that does play a bit of a role. Like the the, the wind and rain uh, in New England for the Baltimore Patriots. I couldn't believe they even scored 40 points combined. Yeah. I mean, that thing was just gross. <laughs> and so, uh, and by the way, all my New England friends, if you're listening you know, there's houses to be bought down here in northeast Florida. You deal with that in November. But uh, but now I feel like all of a sudden, and I don't know if it's just because I watched that game, but I'll tell you what, I was impressed with Minnesota's offense. And I know Dalvin Cook's been really good, yeah. but Kirk Cousins. I mean, I watched Kirk Cousins almost like walk 
into three or four sacks. And instead, he just threw the ball away. But he, Kirk Cousins isn't as good as he should be. For one, how much he gets paid, and two, how much he's played. Mm-hmm. Like, I just, I feel like there's more regression with Cousins. Um, so I don't know. I, I have, should I shift back? I mean, is it is it back to defense? The Rams are playing good defense. They stopped Seattle. Yeah. I mean, is defense going to win the day? Pittsburgh can play good defense when they need to. Baltimore, the strength of Baltimore's team is not their offense. It's yeah. their defense. The Patriots still get by because they're pretty good on defense. Uh, is this shifted? Um, I wouldn't say it's shifted quite yet. Because uh, I still think that, you know, the offense will win the day. But I've been pretty adamant about this, Brent. I think, and let's break down the AFC real quick. The road to the Super Bowl is probably either going to go between, let's say, Kansas City, obviously, Pittsburgh, or maybe Buffalo. Well, what do they all have in common? They play outside, and when it's, you know, January or whenever it's going to be, um, it's a pretty cold weather. It's a pretty crappy weather, more than likely. And when you play in crappy weather, well, then your defense has to show up a little more and your physicality has to show up a little more. So with that being said, I think defense will get you to the promised land, um, depending on what that road looks like. But this is definitely the, the year of the, of the offense and the year of the quarterback, in my opinion. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, again, yeah. it's uh, when the weather strikes, you know, it's inter- it's a lot like baseball, right? You, mm-hmm. can, you can hit in the middle of June and July, yeah. but, you know, when it's October and November and it's you're playing in New York and it's sleeting out, yeah. you better. I bet you want more pitching than you want hitting. Yeah. <laughs> you know? uh, so it'll be interesting to see uh, the the battle of that because it's just such an offensive game right now. The rules favor it, and we know that. That's not like new. Mm-hmm. But that being said, Foles in Chicago remind you of how bad it can be. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's gross. Uh, it, it's just. It's just gross. I mean, is Nick Foles done? Uh, he's got hurt. Apparently, it's not as bad as everybody thought. Uh, the hip and leg injury, it was hard to tell what it was, quite mm-hmm. frankly. So we we're assuming that anyhow, uh, at least on social media. But, I, I mean, Foles just doesn't cut it, right? I mean, he's just not No, good. No, I mean, listen, and whether this was John Filippo that coaxed you know Foles to Chicago or talk, I guess, really talked, the, the Bears and the and the signing fools. Um, listen, right now that organization, uh, they look like fools. Let's be honest here, because you ended up benching Mitch Trubisky when he was undefeated, I believe, and then you bring in Foles, and well, we've seen the story ever since. So, is Nick Foles done as a starter? I think all signs point to yes. Um, I'll be honest with you, and listen, I, I don't know Nick Foles personally. But you got carted off, and if you're going to be day-to-day, not sure how I feel about that, all right? I think it was like a like a groin or a, a, like a glute. Was it a groin injury he suffered? I, is that what it was? I thought they said a hip and a leg injury. It was in his hip-leg area. See, because Nagy announced that he's going to be day-to-day, I thought, with a uh, – I, I, I can find that real quick well, here. Well, I've got the story up. Yeah. Suffered a, it's, um, is this from last night, actually? Um it says hip or leg injury, but this might have been last night, so I'll have to get the opportunity. Yeah, so... Um, I thought about that, though, with yeah, the carted off. That's well, so, really interesting. Here's the thing. So Adam Schefter reports uh, four hours ago, uh, Matt Nagy said that Nick Foles' hip, it's a hip and glute injury, isn't as bad as we once thought. Bears are on by, and Foles will be day-to-day. Okay, so if you're day-to-day. You know, it's, it's interesting you said that, and I wondered about that. And, and somebody asked me on Twitter, like, did he just break his back? Yeah. Like, they actually thought, like, he maybe, you know, fractured a vertebrae or something like that. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I, I wondered, too. You know, oh, for I didn't sure. see anything gruesome. Like, usually guys get carted off 
because it's gruesome. Mm-hmm. And that's an interesting thought that you had as a former player. Let's <laughs> uh, be honest. Hey, dude. But if 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 it scared him with the hip, the hip is something you probably don't want to mess around with. So if that's where the pain was coming from, maybe maybe that was it. Mm. I, I just can't believe you, you woke up today and said, I'm going to defend Nick Foles in anything. But so be it. All right. <laughs> well, sounds good. Well, listen, uh, here's the deal, man. I've told you I'm unwilling to go play this game for a million dollars. Who the hell am I to question somebody's toughness? Oh, man. I hear you. I, I, so you yeah. can. I mean, you fight for a living. Yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. Even though you, 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 you hurt your nose the other day on, like, a wall or something. But oh, okay. I mean, oh, okay. This is where we're going. Okay. Uh, go on. No, that's fine. You, go on. You played the game. So yeah, if you want to question his toughness, sure. you can do that. Yeah, listen, I'm, I'm going to question toughness, and I'm going to question your toughness right now, too, because I'm looking at the picture with you, and I'm not going to lie. It looks like, you know, like when you buy like a picture frame, and it's like like the g- generic like family in the picture frame? That's what you look like right now. You look like a generic family member with that long sleeve shirt on in the background. It looks great, man. It, it, it looks like a dang glamour shot. <laughs> it's the golden hour. It's the golden hour. <laughs> It is the golden hour. I think we should cut this out and start putting it in frames yeah. that sell at Walmart. Yeah. This will be good. But bro, uh, my modeling career is underway. Now we're talking, man. Now we're talking. But as I said on Twitter, man, looking like Steve Jobs right now, I'm proud of you, man. Well, even though you're at home, we could call you Steve Jobless. But with that being said... Um, with that being said, though, like Brent, listen, I understand you're not necessarily the, the toughest guy, as you claim. I think you're still a tough dude. Don't sell yourself short. But listen, you've been in locker rooms. You know how they operate. Like... Do you think there's a sense among that team that when he got carted off, like obviously guys were worried and everything like that, and then they find out the next day that he's day to day? Like, do you think that kind of maybe hurts the dynamic a little bit in that locker room? Yeah, I well, again, you know this way better than yeah. me. But I, I'll be honest with you, I thought about it. Mm-hmm. Like when they went to commercial break last night, I saw the hit, and then I was like, I, I, I actually was like looking down. I was doing some work or something. I was like, wait, he's down? Like it didn't look like such a hit. That you would be down. They're like, oh wow, he's down. Like, and he's down for a bit, and everybody's out there nagging the trainers. And then they go to break, and they come back. It's like Foles being carted off. I'm like, what? Real? Like, I didn't see an ankle. Like, we've seen so many gruesome injuries these last couple of, of weeks that I was waiting for a gruesome injury. Yeah. And we didn't see anything. So maybe that's more on us. Um, but I, I wondered the same. Now listen. You saw them rave. They rave about Foles. You know, mm-hmm. the people in this town, listen, Nick Foles is a good guy, okay? I, I mean, if you don't like Nick Foles, it's because he didn't do enough for the Jags. And I understand you got tired of the conversation and culture talk. But the bottom line, was he wrong? I mean, look at it. Everybody got out of here. I mean, he mm-hmm. wasn't wrong. He noticed there was a problem. Now, he also probably didn't have a great tone and was tone deaf and all those things. I understand that. But Nick Foles is a good guy. I think he's a good yeah. man. And I think they respect the heck out of him for that and who he is. He's just not that good. And, I mean, you can make the case. This is an unbelievable story. You asked the question, is he the worst quarterback from a resume standpoint to win a Super Bowl? Sure. And I, <laughs> I mean, the question. I mean, probably Win the Super Bowl MVP he would be yes, but I think yeah. you have some other people. I mean, Trent Dilfer is always the answer to this, isn't he? Yeah, yeah to me, it, Trent Dilfer definitely sticks out a little bit. Um, wasn't it Brad Johnson from Tampa Brad Bay? Johnson. Yeah, Brad Johnson sticks out a little bit to I don't me think as well. Brad jo- I think Brad Johnson was a better player than Dilfer. Well, well, you know, he was a better player, but I think that year, though, you know, like he wasn't really in the upper echelon of quarterback play. 
Yeah. But, but but I agree with you because I think Trent Dilfer is probably and with all due respect to Trent Dilfer. But let's be honest, like when he was brought to Baltimore or whatever, like he wasn't even expected to be the starter, right? Like he, I don't think he was in their future plans. I think that was your, they had Jamal Lewis as well. So, um, and they had obviously one of the best defenses, uh, statistically of all time. So you had a lot of stuff going in that favor where Trent Dilfer didn't have to be the man, let's just say. How about this? Better move. Uh, I'm, I'm asking right now. Mm-hmm. Jaguars getting a fourth round pick for Foles or Jaguars getting a sixth round pick for Gabbert. Gabbert. Definitely, uh, definitely the Foles move. Just because, yes, you got the draft pick, but also you kind of offloaded some of that money as well, right? Because at the time when you signed that contract, it was a pretty big contract, and Chicago ate some of that. So yeah. um, to me, it's a no-brainer. But l- let me ask you, I mean, l- l- let me kind of run this by you a little bit, right? Because obviously right now everyone, at least in this city, is probably not the biggest Foles fan, right? Because obviously that whole um, trial, it failed miserably, okay? And he's in Chicago now, so be it. But, like, we got to remember at the time, though, and listen, I was probably the biggest biggest advocate of anybody saying, bring Foles in. I'm excited. But at the time, you got to remember, like, what you were dealing with. What other option did you want to go with? Did you, did you want to draft Haskins? Did you want to go with Joe Flacco? Did you want to bring Andy Dalton in here? Like, to me, there wasn't a lot of, like, choices of what, what, what the goal was going to be if you didn't bring Foles in. I don't think the problem was bringing Foles in. I really don't. And spinning the tires on it. Mm-hmm. I think what people really got not happy about was the dollars spent and dollars tied to him for really no reason, because nobody else was interested. Mm-hmm. No, And it's not that they weren't interested. They didn't need it. They weren't in that situation. The teams that wanted to go quarterback had the draft you know, prowess to be able to do so. Uh, other teams were sticking with their veteran guy. It's just the way it all shook out. The Jags were really the only team that would be interested. And it wasn't because people didn't want Nick Foles or Nick Foles wouldn't be good enough, they thought. I don't think it was because of that. It was just because of their situation. They were saying, all right, we're going to bump this guy out for Foles? Probably not. Mm-hmm. Are we going to get in a sweepstakes where we're going to pay $25 million a year for him? And that's what, I mean, the Jags could have really offered... $14 million, $15 million on a one-year thing in hindsight, and then he would have had to either say, okay, I'll do that and show you, or I'm going to stay in Philly as a backup. Mm. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's really that, that's what he had. Yeah. I don't remember anything else that he even had. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why people have the angst against Foles. And then on top of that, the tone-deaf nature of last year when he took to the podium. And, you know, <laughs> if, again, he, I still say this. Was he wrong? Probably not, but say it internally, man, right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. come on. I mean, again, that is another example of people don't understand. Players in the building don't understand what the fans have been through for a dozen years. They just don't get it, and Foles showed that he didn't get it. Yeah. And uh, he was here long-term where everybody's like, hey, what the heck, man? We're trying to win now, mm-hmm. right? We're tired of losing now. And Foles was thinking, all right, I got a few years on this deal. I'm going to be here for two, three years. I'm going to build it. Right? Much like a, a first, he acted like he was a first year coach. True. And they, he was given all this money to come in here and help save it now. Yeah. And it was just this huge disconnect. Uh, so, listen, I, I think it's unbelievable the Jags got out from under that situation. It's also unbelievable the Jags have now been wrong on multiple occasions Bortles, Foles, and I think right now Minshew proved that he's not the right answer. So, it's three quarterbacks. Three quarterbacks. Three quarterbacks. That's why they're probably not picking the next one. Mm-hmm.
Uh, speaking of quarterbacks, somebody asked a question about Ben Roethlisberger. Does he get enough love? We'll answer that uh, when we come back. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. The Steelers come to town this week. I don't think uh, he'll play TPC Sawgrass this time around, although Ben showed that he doesn't really need practice. Played pretty well on Sunday, despite being quarantined all last week. We'll get to it when we come back. ESPN 690 from the backyard. I attribute it to the guys around me. I attribute it to the offensive line. Um, no sacks today. Gave me time to throw it against a lot of crazy looks and blitzes. Uh, I attribute it to the coaching staff for getting us ready to getting me ready to play and all of us ready to play. And, and then obviously the skill guys. They made plays tonight. It wasn't easy out there. Um, the wind was blowing the, the football around a little bit, and they were able to concentrate and make plays out there when um, you know sometimes plays weren't even there to be made. Juju, you know doing what he normally does and fighting for first downs and James Conner catching the ball and just just everybody. I can't say enough about everybody today. This was way more than me. It was a, a total team victory today. <laughs> you all right back there? Yeah. Hey, can we get a studio light on you, Brent? Why is it getting dark? You're starting to fade in the background a little bit. Oh, is yeah? it getting dark? Yeah. All you guys have to do is tell me. I'm like... I can make this happen. Well, Coos, let him know, man. It's I didn't notice until just now. I got you. Good job, Coos. Hold yeah. on. Now I got to go to work here. You take over. Oh, Big Ben, is he no, overrated? Now look what you did, Coos. Uh, I mean, is he overlooked? That's the question. Come on, Coos. No, oh, you're no, fine, now man. I just, now I just tweeted something bad. I didn't tweet right. Now I got to <laughs> fix it. Hey, I messed it all up. <laughs> the wheels, are, the wheels we have, are just falling off. Hey, we had like a, we have a, a, Four-minute commercial break, yeah. and you guys couldn't tell me this until we got back on. Brent, well, okay, okay, yeah, Kuz, you explain yourself. We were looking Not at the commercial fault. screen. I hadn't had our actual screen up. Don't say we're. This is all your fault. <laughs> I don't look at the screen. Kuz, like, hey, by the way, Brent, you can barely see him. I'm like, oh yeah, sure enough, you can. What did I tell you? What did I tell you at the top of the show? Go back and listen to the top of the show. What happens is, it the this working from home stuff communication shows your, shows your weaknesses. Okay. Now, is that directed at me and Coos or just Coos? I don't care who it is. It's <laughs> not my fault, all right? Why are you throwing me into this? I don't watch the screen 24-7 to see how dark it's getting outside. It's not my fault. Well, and I obviously don't look at it with the amount of times I forgot to switch it to yeah. the commercial break one. So. And by the way, I mean, you want to talk about communication? That's fine. How about a little self-awareness, though, too? I mean, you're outside and the sun's going down. So don't be mad at us. And Now, is he gone? Oh, well, that's a nice light. No, that looks good. He did leave, though. <laughs> okay, well, then I'll Yeah, I'm go, not even listening. Yeah, well, then I'll go ahead and reiterate. Oh, wow, that's a... Wow. Is, is, that like the, is that like a backyard light there, Brent? No, all I did was open up the iris on the camera, guys. I do have one light, but I don't think it's enough. I've got to go get my other light. Iris on the camera. Nice, nice... Uh, flex. Technical word, yeah, for flex. Hey, Brent, by the way, I'm not sure if you heard me or not. But no, go, I didn't. Go ahead and talk about communication all you want. How about a little self-awareness from your end? <laughs> How does that sound? You're outside, and the sun's going down. It what is. do you think's going to happen? Yeah, but I still see the sun. I mean, I was worried about my fire pit and fire. i got to heat this thing up How soon. long have you been doing this job for? This isn't your first rodeo, and, and you want to hold me accountable? A guy that has zero clue how cameras even work? I know white balance, and that's about it? And you're trying to get on me right now? Come on, uh, man. Hey, Big Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah. Is he underrated? Overlooked? <sighs> It's a good question. Yeah, it's a question from a caller we had, and uh, so we appreciate that. But and it's a fair one, I think, right? I mean, yeah. Over the years, hey, listen. The bottom line, yes, is he, he's overlooked. I don't, I think you can be overlooked and still not underrated. Mm-hmm. Okay, because he is overlooked, and the reason he's overlooked is because he has played in an era 
that has Tom Brady, Peyton Manning. Yeah. Uh, now you um, Aaron Rodgers. Uh, go ahead, keep Russell Wilson now. Yeah. Patrick Mahomes now. So he's played through a bunch of these quarterback eras that we had superstar guys, mm-hmm. and he's very very good. But he certainly didn't win like Brady. He certainly didn't have kind of the aura like Peyton Manning has had. And uh, he certainly isn't the human highlight reel that Patrick Mahomes now is. Mm-hmm. No, you're absolutely right. And I think with Ben Roethlisberger, listen, when we talk about the quarterback position, one of the most important aspects of any quarterback, it's it's dependability, and it's obviously it's not having the ups and downs. It's staying consistent. And I think, you know, the, the story of Ben Roethlisberger's career, it's like he would have these five touchdown games, as he should because he's got the receivers to back it up. But then every once in a while, like, you just have an absolute game where it's like, well, what was that? Yeah. Right? And when we talk about, like, Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers and, and Russell Wilson and all the greats right now, like, I don't really think that you really have too many games like that for those guys. Right, but Ben Roethlisberger, I can point through every single year in history and say, well, this was a game where I don't know what happened with Ben Roethlisberger. Right, all of a sudden he's throwing like three picks or four picks. I threw five against the Jags. Exactly. Years back. Exactly. He wanted to retire after that game. Sure. So I think that has something to do with it just a little bit, where it's like the consistency of Ben Roethlisberger. Like he's don't get me wrong, he's had more uh, great than bad, hands down. But he's also had some bad and some really, really bad. Yeah, I think part – I mean, look, I'm looking at some of the numbers of Ross's part. I mean, he had a 5,000-yard season in eight <laughs> I mean, 5,000 yards. Yeah. Holy cow. I mean, that's just unbelievable. He also led the league in interceptions that year, though, it looks like, mm-hmm. uh, with 16, which would lead the league. And that's kind of interesting, too. Uh, but he almost had a 5,000-yard season in 2014. I mean, he has, he has more th- – see, he's a lot like, in my opinion, Russell Wilson. Okay where Russell Wilson wasn't asked to do that much early on. I don't think Big Ben was asked to do a ton early on. They ran the ball. They played good defense. Well, now as the game has evolved, Ben Roethlisberger has evolved. The Steelers have evolved into this potent offense over the years, and they're asked to do much more. And I think Ben Roethlisberger does it really well. I also think there's a likability problem with Ben because of some of the stuff off the field, yeah, Austin, obviously. earlier in his career. Yeah, the, 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 the past stuff, absolutely. I mean, you know, that always goes into account. Well, let me ask you this, Brent. We talked about with Jason Fitz earlier on the show about, you know, Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray, what percentage is due to the success of, of each person. Well, let's talk about Mike Tomlin and Ben Roethlisberger. Like, what percentage would you say of the Steelers' success is Mike Tomlin and what, what percentage right now would you say is Ben Roethlisberger? Gosh, I feel like it's I, – I feel like from the outside, and we got Steelers fans on, I think, and I'd be interested to see what they take, but I feel like it's like 60-40 Tomlin. Really? I yeah. feel – man, he is like the pulse of that thing. He, he, he is. He gets it, man. He knows – I feel like that. I might be wrong. I might be wrong. Well, because yeah, the quarterback is so important. It is important. And you feel like, you know, Big Ben, I mean, like he has the support in that locker room. But at the same time, look at last year. Big Ben goes down, and the Steelers go 8-8. Eight and eight. They don't really miss a beat that much. So, yeah. More on the Steelers and the Jags. More NFL. More football talk. Coming up next. Last hour of Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690.